What's up? My name is Josh. I'm a fourth year medical student at Oakland University. Today we're going to be going over protein sorting. This is the 14th episode. Um, in the previous episode, we talked about biological membranes and sort of how proteins, you know, might be in the biological membranes. Well, they got to get there somehow. And in this one, we're going to be talking about protein sorting, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how we all, we're going to eventually get to transmembrane proteins and how those get uh, sorted and, and sent to that area. But let's first talk about some other stuff, okay? So there are two sites uh, for protein sorting. You can sort proteins um, in the cytosol, right? Floating around, there's going to be proteins, and those have to be moved from one place to another. And then there's also sorting that occurs at the rough endoplasmic reticulum. Now, here's the interesting thing. Sorting in the cytosol, right, sorts for the nucleus, the mitochondria, and the peroxisomes, okay? So let me repeat that, okay? Proteins headed for the nucleus, the mitochondria, or the peroxisome get sorted in the cytosol, okay? Proteins uh, that are going to be secreted are heading for lysosomes or for the biological membrane or the term transmembrane proteins, these get sorted at the rough endoplasmic reticulum, okay? So let's say that one more time. Proteins heading for the nucleus, the mitochondria, or the peroxisome get sorted in the cytosol, and proteins heading to be secreted, being sent to the lysosome, or being sent to the uh, trans, uh, transcellular membrane, get sorted at the rough endoplasmic reticulum slash Golgi. Okay, so let's get into it, okay? Cytosolic protein traffic. A general overview is that no vesicles are involved. Transport across membranes occurs post-translationally. This should make sense, right? Like when you're sending something, um, when you're sending a protein from one place to another, um, it's going to have to be post-translationally. It's going to have to be made. Translation is taking RNA and turning it into amino acid polypeptide. So, of course, it's going to be post-translational. Um, let's talk about mitochondrial targeting and uh, mitochondrial uh, basically sorting. So, what's going to happen is you're going to get this pre-sequence of amino acids, right? We call it a pre-sequence because it hasn't been folded yet. All right, and at the N-terminus, you have to remember there's uh, an N-terminus and a C-terminus. The N-terminus is the first part of the amino acid sequence uh, for that protein that exits the ribosome as it's um, translated from mRNA, right? And then using that mRNA, you're going to make this polypeptide sequence. The first um, amino acid to come out of there at the very first side of that, that's going to be your N-terminus. And the N-terminus has a nitrogen group as well, okay? So attach to that nitrogen group, you're going to have this alpha helix, okay? And this alpha helix is key. This is what targets it for the mitochondria, okay? And this is going to then, as it's coming out of this ribosome, do you remember what uh, the, that um, it doesn't want to fold yet, right? So we need a... Um, a uh, HSP70. If you remember what an HSP70 is, this is one of those like boxes that's going to snatch up this uh, amino acid and provide a good environment for it so it doesn't fold prematurely, right? Um, this is an important thing to remember. So anyway, so as this is exiting, it ends up in this HSP70 outside of the mitochondria, right? And, uh, and, the mito and it's going to basically bring it up to the mitochondrial wall, right? 
and Tom 20 on the mitochondria is going to recognize, hey, this is a um, HSP 70. It has some, it has an alpha helix on it. Let's accept this. And it's going to nudge its, bud, its buddy, Tom 40. And Tom 40 is going to open up a channel in the extracellular matrix, which is going to then accept this unfolded protein into the extracellular matrix. Tom 40 is going to accept this and then scream over his shoulder, yo, Tim, let this, let this guy in. And Tim is going to provide a channel, which is going to import the protein from the extracellular matrix into the intracellular matrix, where it'll be finally folded into its end, um, you know, confirmation, right? So that's how mitochondria, mitochondrial targeting happens, okay? So I'm going to start, uh, I'm just going to go rehash it one more time, okay? Uh, a brief overview. Um, an alpha helix at the end terminus of the mitochondrial protein will target it basically will uh, we'll tag it for, my, for uh, the mitochondrial organelle, right? HSP70 is going to grab it up and chaperone that protein to the mitochondrial uh, extracellular membrane and knock on the front door. Tom20 is going to uh, open the door, recognize the HSP70 chaperone and the friend that he brought, the amino acid, and, and, and tell his, uh, basically, the bouncer, Tom Forty, that they're good to go and they can come in. Tom Forty is going to basically accept this um, alpha helix and, um, and cut it off and then accept the rest of that protein, right? The protein that's unfolded. And then as, it, as it, uh, the protein enters the club, the mitochondrial club, Tim is going to let it into the inner club, the intracellular, intra, in, the intracellular matrix. Hopefully you actually, I just realized that unless you know that mitochondria have an extracellular and intracellular matrix, you might not totally understand, but mitochondria have an extracellular and an intracellular basically like wall, right? Um, so that's, that's what's going on there. They're bringing these proteins in all the way into the cell and that's or into the, the mitochondrial, um, cell. So that's, that's what's going on there. So let's talk about nuclear import now. Okay. This is the next thing. We just talked about mitochondrial import. Let's talk about nuclear import. Okay. Nuclear import. Nuclear import is bidirectional. It takes, um, basically proteins from the cytosol and moves them into the nucleus, or it takes uh, proteins or mRNA from the nucleus and moves them to the cytosol. The, um, the process for this is, is the same, um, so, but the tag, the tagging protein is different depending on whether or not they're moving in or out. So for proteins that are going to be moved from the cytosol to the nucleus, NLS is the tag. So basically, NLS will get tagged to this protein and then be recognized by Importin, right? And Importin is going to bind the NLS um, as well as the protein, and it's going to carry it as its cargo, and it's going to head to the nucleus. In the nucleus, RANGTP is going to bind to that Importin, which is going to cause dissociation of the cargo, right? So now that protein is within the uh, nucleus, and the RANGTP is going to bring the important back to the cytosol. The RANGPT, uh, RANGTP is going to dephosphorylate, and then um, important is going to get um, dissociated from that RANGTP important complex. You're going to um, have, you know, you're going to be able to recycle that important, and it's going to be able to carry um, another. Uh, 
protein that's been tagged with NLS back into the nucleus. So for proteins that need to get carried out from the nucleus to the cytosol, it's the same process. The only difference now is that NES is going to be tagging the protein. So it's just NLS versus NES, and then same process for both, okay? One thing I want to add, though, is that whereas mitochondrial targeting, the protein remains unfolded until it's actually in the mitochondria, for nuclear import, these proteins um, are folded and they're imported, folded, and then the signal that we attach, that NLS or NES signal, doesn't get cleaved, okay? It remains on that protein at that end terminus. So for peroxisomal import, very similar mechanism um, as nuclear import, and um, the same final rule applies. It's a folded protein that gets transported to the peroxisome from the cytosol, right? And the signal is not cleaved. So this is a lot, and I recognize that this is a lot. So the main takeaways that I want you to uh, you know, basically, we're we're stopping halfway through this just to go back over what we've uh, talked about. Okay, so we've talked about so far cytosolic protein trafficking, specifically uh, mitochondrial, nuclear, and peroxisomal um, trafficking. Sp let's talk just quickly. Rehash mitochondrial targeting. Okay, it's going to be an alpha helix at the end terminus, which is like the tag. It's going to be sent to the mitochondria where it's going to be accepted and then eventually once it's in the intracellular matrix of the mitochondria folded and then the alpha helix will also be cleaved. Nuclear import and peroxisomal import utilizes a uh, protein uh, tagging system of NLS and NES depending on if it's heading in or out of the nucleus. Basically it gets brought in via this important protein complex, and then with RAN-GTP um, unbinds once it's at its target. It's already folded when it begins transport to its target, and the signal that gets attached to it, this NLS or NES signal, is not cleaved off. That's the takeaway. So next up is going to be protein sorting in the endoplasmic reticulum. Okay, So remember how the ribosome reads the mRNA on the cytosolic side, but then creates the protein um, in the ER lumen. Well, this is sort of how that happens, all right? So basically, as the ribosome reads along in a um, five to three prime direction along this mRNA, you're gonna make this amino acid sequence. And the N terminus is gonna basically create this signal sequence on a growing polypeptide chain. This is gonna be recognized by a SRP, which is a signal recognition protein. And this is going to basically cause a translocon to open up. And the translocon is going to basically um, begin to uh, push that polypeptide from the ribosome through into the ER lumen. And as you read along the mRNA, more and more of this is going to grow until you have a completed uh, polypeptide chain, which at that point, a signal peptidase is going to cleave the SRP sequence, and it's going to result in the um, translocon closing. What you should have pictured in your head at that point, basically, is this, okay? The SRP is bound to the head or the end terminus of this protein, which is also regarded as the alpha helix. As more and more of this alpha helix is created, which is a hydrophobic portion of the polypeptide chain, it's going to stay in that ER lumen, right? 
but the C terminal is going to be continue ma continue to be made, and then like basically pushed into the ER lumen. This is a lot to understand, and it's hard to describe over a podcast. So again, this is another thing I would highly recommend going and just looking at a diagram of, but I hope my description at least helped a little bit. I'll go ahead and just say it one more time in case you were confused, okay? So as you're creating this amino acid polypeptide, there's going to be an SR uh, signal uh, recognition sequence in the first few amino acids of this growing polypeptide which is going to basically attract a signal recognition par, uh, protein to bind to that. Once that binds to it, it's basically going to feed it to this translocon, which is located at the ER um, cytosol um, interface. And it's basically going to feed the growing polypeptide chain into the ER lumen. Okay. At that point, once you um, basically uh, have this growing protein in the ER lumen, going to continue to grow, uh, continue to, to basically have the SRP bound to this interface until you reach this hydrophobic alpha helix portion of your growing polypeptide, which at that, at that point, um, the SRP is going to release via signal peptidase, right? And then the remaining C-terminal is going to be made in the um, ER lumen, right? Because it's not hydrophobic, it's hydrophilic. Okay, so next up, we're going to talk about vesicular transport. So remember, after you make proteins, if they're not going to end up in the um, ER lumen, uh, like the interface, right? If they're not going to be a part of like a ribosomal complex, they're not going to stay in the ER, they're going to probably be secreted. And the proteins that are going to be secreted uh, go to the Golgi, okay? So for vesicular transport, these proteins are shipped from the ER to the Golgi via vesicles. And migration of these vesicles occurs on microtubules. Do you, if you remember, uh, if you remember, microtubules, right, from our cytoskeletal lecture. Um, if not, I recommend going back just to remind you what these alpha and beta tubulin dimers are. But migration of these vesicles occurs via those microtubules. And there's three classes of vesicles. Okay, there's COP1 vesicles which go from the Golgi to the ER. Okay. Golgi to the ER, that's COP1. COP2 goes from the endoplasmic reticulum, the ER to the Golgi. So COP1 goes from the Golgi to the ER. COP2 vesicles go from the ER to the Golgi. And then there's some that are CCV mediated, and this goes from the Golgi to lysosomes. Remember how I said lysosomes happen uh, in the ER, like part of that whole process? Well, CCV mediate CCV tagged vesicles mediate transportation from the Golgi to lysosomes if proteins are headed for lysosomes, right, to be a part of that. So what happens when these vesicles are now on the way, right? Well, there's these things called snares. So a V-snare is basically um, going to be on the outside of the vesicle. It's going to be basically the, the receptor on the outside of the vesicle. And then the T-snare is the target, uh, the target membrane for where the vesicle is basically going to head towards and then merge with, right? So your V-snare is attached to the vesicle, the T-snare is on the target. And when these two basically bind to each other, you'll have merging of these two membranes, okay? And they aid, in, and basically these snares are what cause membrane fusion. A high-yield um, concept is botulism toxin. This is going to be your first introduction to botulism. But botulism um, basically cleaves snares 
making it impossible for vesicular transport to fuse with the plasma membrane. This is actually how it stops um, your muscles from working. Um, that's why it causes paralysis because it stops us from being able to secrete um, neurotransmitters necessary for movement. That's what botulism uh, does. It cleaves snare proteins. That's high yield for your examinations. You will get asked a question regarding uh, the mechanism of action for botulism. So let's just quickly, since I mentioned it, right, there's uh, CCV-mediated uh, vesicular transport from the Golgi to the lysosome. So let's talk about lysosomal targeting. So post-translational modifications, um, uh, if you remember, for things that get targeted to uh, the lysosome require a, a mannose-6-phosphate to get attached via glycosyl transferases, right? Once these proteins are post-translationally modified with this M6P, they get packaged into a CCV vesicle. And when this doesn't work properly, you get actually a disease called uh, mucolipidosis 2 or eye cell disease. And this is a defect in M6P tagging, right? So it's going to be a lysosomal uh, transport deficiency disease, right? So uh, eye cell disease, mucolipidosis 2, this is a defect in M6PT, uh, M6P tagging, which results in a protein not getting put into a CCV vesicle and never ending up in the lysosome. So a really good question that you're asking is going to be like, okay, like I get it, like things get pushed, uh, you know, they, they get tagged with a, uh, uh, a, uh, you know, a tag, and then that gets them uh, to their target. But then you got to be asking, or at least I'm hoping you're asking, like, well, what causes what causes these things to even want to get tagged, you know? So there's a few things. There's two pathways. There's the default non-selective pathway, right, where it's just random things are getting put into, well, not random, but as, as transcription factors are made and proteins are made, there's a certain level of chance that they get uh, later made into proteins, and these proteins get packaged into vesicles, and they have a non-selective way of doing this. There's also a regulated pathway, and this is going to be your exocrine and endocrine um, pathways, right? These are going to be uh, feedback pathways and things like that. We'll talk about this in later episodes. I don't want you to worry too much about that right now, but the idea is that vesicular transport can be stimulated. It doesn't just happen randomly. You can actually stimulate these, and these are going to result in your exocrine and endocrine functions of your body, okay? You can also have receptor-mediated endocytosis. So just like we can uh, excrete things, we can also take up things. So when um, basically a molecule binds to a receptor on, the, uh, you know, on our extracellular uh, membrane, it can make it so that it basically causes uh, endocytosis and it creates a vesicle of its own. That vesicle is then going to merge with some other types of uh, organelles in our, um, in our cell. We'll talk about those in a later episode, though. Um, it's going to probably result in breaking down the molecule and using whatever we, uh, you know, took in for other processes. Uh, you know, for instance, like sugars or proteins or fats. There's a bunch of different uh, ways that our body utilizes these. So we'll get into that um, in a later episode. However, the next episode, we're going to be getting into a little bit of a different topic. We're going to be doing uh, genetics, specifically epigenetics. Um, we're going to do our first little introduction to genes and all that stuff. Um, we've talked about them on a, you know, a cellular biological level. We're going to start looking at, uh, you know, sort of the, how those genes affect, you know, phenotypes and things like that or how they actually look in the real world. So 
We'll see you in the next episode. We're going to be talking about epigenetics. Um, I hope this episode helped. If it did, please feel free to reach out uh, via an email. If you're having trouble still, um, I do tutoring. Happy to talk to you about that. Uh, my email is joshuavolan at gmail.com. Let's get in touch. See you in the next episode.